0: Hi, this is Hani Naga and Hannah Langdell, residents with uh, the Resident Review. And today we'll be recording an episode on our Back to Basics series on case preparation and OR etiquette.
1: Thanks, Hani. Um, so, first off, this is a really important topic that's not just for medical students or interns but really is important throughout residency, fellowship, and I would argue even at the attending level. Um, So these will be themes that are important throughout your career, and it's really critical to establish good patterns early and will really help you in the long run. So, Hani, do you remember the first time you were in an operating room? What was it like?
0: Yes, actually, because it was the first moment of my clerkship year. Well, actually, I haven't even I I did shadowing as a as a high school student that we don't even need to get into, but let's get into the med <laughs> student side.
1: <laughs> yeah, I shadowed as a high schooler as well, and it was kind of just stand in the corner, try not to like get in the way. But it's different yeah. once you're expected to scrub in; it feels different.
0: Yeah, I actually remember a shadowing experience. It was it it's odd, but it was a it was a free fib actually. It was in it was in Baltimore, and we did a it was a free fib for some jaw reconstruction, and I remember. This is one of my first OR experiences. I had my mask on and I was getting lightheaded, and it was like an hour into it. And I was like, Am I built for this? Yeah. But here I am.
1: <laughs> no, that's a good point. I think, I mean, I've had similar experiences. Gosh, I remember watching like a Xiaflex injection. This was not even in an operating room, it was just a procedure room. But basically, for dupatrins, you can stretch out the finger. And I felt like I was going to pass out. <laughs> so just goes to show it happens to everyone. So yes, try to, you know, hydrate, get a snack before long cases. But I would say medical students, residents, like, don't be afraid to sit down, take a break. Like, you know, we don't want anyone getting hurt. And it really (laughs) does. uh, It happens to every resident.
0: Yeah. And over time, I think you just get more and more comfortable. Yeah. But, but yeah, in regards to case preparation, I think that this is a this is a real really big topic that we can unpack that everyone benefits from and i think like we'll get started today at some of the more basic levels um we definitely wanted our clerkship listeners to to get a sense for for what we do from a case preparation standpoint but also what we did at that point as well because i think just listening to everyone's experiences can be really helpful and kind of on that note i'm wondering when you were a clerkship student, do you remember certain cases and, or, or certain techniques that you either learned from other clerkship students or what you were just doing at the time?
1: Yeah. So I would say a lot of being a medical student is just observing what's going on around you. No one, unfortunately, hopefully this episode will help, but no one really sits down and tells you, you know, these are the steps you need to take to be a good surgical clerkship student. But I think before we get to preparation, I think it starts with just O.R. etiquette and being aware of what's happening. So you're going to go into the operating room and there's going to be a ton of people in there. There's the scrub tech, there's a circulator, there are you know, the anesthesiology team, and often you know, there's an x-ray technician. So lots of folks there. So the first thing I would do is introduce yourself um, because people don't know who you are. And, you know, we'll be much more eager to help you if they know that you're a new medical student. So go to the circulator, say, you know, I'm I'm Hannah, I'm here on my clerkship rotation, uh, write your name on the whiteboard, write your glove size down, and then go get your gloves right. and open them up for the, uh, the scrub tech. And then from there, it is, like I said, observing what can you do? Sometimes I feel like you get to an OR and you're like, gosh, I'm just a med student. Like, I can't do anything. I'm always in the way. So yes, be mindful if you don't want to get in people's way, but there is so much that you can do. So this is just small tasks from, you know, helping move the patient from the stretcher to the OR table, you know, adjusting the lights, getting extra blankets, um, you know, after the case, going out into the hall and get the stretcher. So just showing ways that you are engaged in the process, I think really helps honey, was there anything else that you kind of did initially when you went to the OR that that helped you?
0: Yeah. I, I don't know if you had a similar experience, but when I was, a, actually, I, I probably still do this. Whenever I'm introduced to a new kind of situation, I, the first couple of days, I just try to absorb what's going on around me. It's, I'd rather be seen as kind of um, not knowing what's going on initially. And it's almost like, I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to, I don't want to get in the way initially. So at the beginning, I just try to absorb, I try to see what's going on. I try to identify tasks that may be menial tasks that the resident needs help with or something like that, but I don't do them right away. I'm just kind of analyzing at the beginning. And then what I would do with every clerkship is I would sequentially start helping out positioning the patient, um, making sure I would ask sometimes if the resident needed gloves um, I would Again, transport the patient, um, and I think that just those tasks initially, and also just being around my resident and seeing kind of what their 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 the flow of their day was like, would all really help me become more and more involved over the coming days in just increasing the efficiency of the OR and, and the resident because. What what I failed to realize initially was that residents usually want to, they have so much to do. It's not just the surgery. When they're, after they're done transporting the patient, they need to write notes. They need to call the primary team. They need to um, um, get a snack and then get ready for the next case as well. There's there's so much going on behind the scenes. And I think that as a med student, just helping with any of those menial tasks actually goes a really, really long way.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, especially as a med student. And even an in turn, you're changing services so frequently and the culture might not be the same as it was last month. So for example, like you're on orthopedic surgery this month, I'm sure it's very different than your month on vascular surgery. Like the the norms of the service and the attendings, they do change. So I would say you really have to be adaptable. And like you were saying, honey, that just comes from observation. Um, and I know it sounds pretty obvious when we say it to find tasks, but it, uh, I would say is not universal in the med students that come through. There are some that, you know, all of a sudden they take out their phone and are playing on their phone in the OR, you know, will actually leave before the patient's transport to PACU. And so the residents, even though they're busy, uh, they pick up on it. And, you know, I notice when med students do those things and when they don't, and it's not necessarily something I'm going to comment on, but it's something that I recognize and uh, it shapes kind of how much you let the, res- the med student do.
0: Yeah. And just kind of like a final note on this is that it's not necessarily that those med students are are lazy or bad. It's just that maybe they don't pick up on it. And that's why yeah. we're doing this episode.
1: Exactly. Because you haven't done it before. And you might really not know and you want to be involved, but aren't sure the best ways to do it. So that's hopefully what we're helping with here.
0: Exactly. And now kind of moving on, but almost tying it back, and just for like the, the med students who who are new and are kind of getting a sense for things no start to to realize what the different roles are so it took me a while to 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 realize that what scrubs do what circulators do and like what their what their roles are and like what a crna is and and what a when when the resident goes to handle i don't know there's so many details that you just pick up on and just basically pay attention all the time
1: (laughs) yeah and um kind of along those points So you recognize that everyone's role is, and you now you have maybe some idea of what you can do. And then a common question that we get is, okay, like, you know, should I be talking a lot in the OR? Should I be asking questions? When should I ask questions? And this really, there's not a black and white answer to it, but it just takes um, a little bit of, how could you say, I guess, contextual, Contextualization to say when is the best time to ask questions. So, for example, during a microsurgery case, during the actual micro is probably not the best time to be trying to chat with the attending. You know, if you can tell that they're having a difficult time with the dissection, also probably not a great time to ask questions. But let's say everyone is sewing and the mood is lighter, that might be a time to, you know, ask any questions you had about the case. And I would advise when you ask questions, at least show that you have read something. So if, you know, let's say you're in a deep case, don't say, hey, what's the blood supply to this flap? You could say, hey, I I see you decided to do, um, you know, an extended deep instead of a stacked flap. Like, why did you make that decision? And so it shows that you've at least thought about the case somewhat, Um, but honey, what do you think? Did you talk much in the OR as a medical student or or what's your take on that?
0: no. I think that I, I try to stay kind of under the radar for the most part. Um, And generally that's just in line with my personality where I become very talkative once I become comfortable, but until I'm comfortable, I try to stay quiet and just make sure that I I, I don't know, make sure that I understand the personalities around me. And I think that's usually the safer bet um, to be completely honest with you, because you just don't know what everyone's personalities are like there's some people who you can like you can talk to um pretty unfiltered and there are people that you should have a filter with and it's all these are all you know just what is it called situational awareness and like knowing the people around you and emotional intelligence right so I, i i wouldn't i wouldn't talk
1: that much yeah no i agree with you i think one or two questions is appropriate but you know the students that are I think talking the whole case, um, it just shows they're not totally aware of, you know, this is surgery and everyone is is working hard. So I, I tend to agree with you, honey. I think um, you don't want to uh, kind of be the one that's overbearing or, you know.
0: Yeah. And it's usually, it, it's like out, outside the OR, to be honest with you, it was just the time to talk more. Yeah. And that's and that's just because of the situation. And and the thing is, is some, and the, Someone told me this when I was a medical student, which was remember that as a medical student, you're here for two weeks and then we don't see you ever again. Right. Whereas these residents, they're together for many, many years. The attendings are with these people for many, many years. So while they might be friends with each other and kind of, they might, they might have their own banter, it's, it's not you can, you can like partake, but not be a extremely active participant and then, and that's just kind of like anything you know you, it's when when you're in a when you're entering with a new group of people and you're just really loud at the beginning and they don't know you then then it can sometimes come off the wrong way but again different scenarios different contexts i think that you'll find a different yeah. group of, like i think we have this- similar
1: personalities honey so we probably approach it in <laughs> in like a similar way there's other people that probably you know are chatty and joking and you know it's fine so again Don't try to totally change who you are, but just be aware.
0: Exactly. Uh, Exactly. I think that's, that's basically the, the, the one liner. (laughs) Don't change who you are, but be aware. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
1: And then uh, another question that I sometimes get is like, you know, I want to show that I'm involved and I want to participate. Like, should I ask to suture? Should I ask to do technical skills during the case? Um, My general thought is no. Um, I am fully aware that most medical students want to suture. They want to be involved, and the ways they show that are the things we talked about earlier when they're you know helping to transport. They're proactively asking for suture scissors when they see someone else suturing. They show that they are present. And then, you know, if time allows and if it's you know appropriate, I always want medical students to suture. So it's not like the residents aren't thinking about it. Sometimes there's just circumstances where it makes it not possible and then be prepared so if you are asked hey do you want to help close have practice before you go to the operating room so yeah and i would say money? that
0: that you're a great teacher so i i mean i remember throughout this year multiple times like you get people involved when able but sometimes the the um, the situation just isn't right so I, I i agree with you i i i generally think that Asking to suture is not the right move. Generally, residents want to teach. And if they don't want to teach, then asking them isn't uh, kind of, you know that what I mean? Help. It isn't, yeah, yeah it, it isn't quite going to help. The residents who want to teach are going to involve you and the residents yeah. who don't, you shouldn't ask anyway. Yeah, You know what I mean? And then, but I agree with your point that that being present and showing initiative lends itself to being entrusted with tasks in OR. Because usually, and I've experienced this myself where I've taught a bunch of medical students at, at this point doing sub like sub-tube closures. And when they're really engaged, then honestly, I don't even want to close. I like, I, I'm like, all right, let's let's get the reps. Like you're you are you have been so helpful, you know. Yeah. Then I, I want to I wanna help you out. I want to like help with your development. And not to say that other med students, I don't want to help with their development, but if we're behind and, you know, I'm thinking about all of the tasks that I have to do, it's more of a time crunch where I, I need to get home at a certain time because I'm doing this three 365 days a year. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So just, I would say, don't get offended if you're not offered to suture a case. Like, you know, like you were saying, honey, it could be the first case and you have six cases that day and you know, The attendings already texted you saying we're in a hurry or there's another room running or you have a consult waiting. So there could be any number of things going on that the med student might not fully appreciate. So um, your time will come. And I would say, if you really are getting towards the end of the clerkship and feel like you haven't had the opportunity, I would say something outside of the operating room and say, hey, you know, one of my goals for this rotation was to be able to do a subparticular suture you know, one of the cases this week, do you think we could find time to do that? And I think that's totally appropriate. Um, But in the moment, it doesn't come across as well. So that's how I would handle it if you feel like you're not getting to do as much as maybe you could. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about case preparation from a medical student standpoint. So now we know, like, you go into an OR, at least have some idea of what are the first few things you should do. But even before going to the OR, how did you prepare for uh, cases for the day?
0: So my approach as a, as a medical student, first of all, there are th- probably three things that I did with every case. And let me just say that the more time you invest in figuring out a method, the more you'll, you'll be prepared. You know what I mean? Like you have to put in time. Um, now, that being said, there are ways to make your time more efficient. Um, I'd usually do a few things. First, I'd watch a video of the surgery just so that I could understand the lay of the land. Now, that being said, I would just look it up on YouTube. Um, it's not always the same surgery. It's not always the same technique. The surgeries aren't always the greatest quality. They're not always telling you what the an- anatomical structures are, but it gives you an idea of what you're going to encounter. in the OR. and then usually after I do that, I try to look up some basic anatomy and for that, there are a lot of resources. I can speak to plastics. I can speak to some general surgery things, but usually what I do at that point is what is the bare bones, basic anatomy that I need to know. So if we're doing a lap coli, you need to know the gallbladder anatomy, right? You need to know what the cystic duct is. You need to know what the common bile duct is. You need to know what the, what the vasculature going into there is, is as well. And these are all essential things because they come up in the operation. Now, initially, when I'm an MS2, do I need to know the critical view? Um, maybe not. That's I barely really
1: know what that is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But just showing that you've read something and know the basic anatomy is helpful. And then also asking other people's what you, uh, other other students, what you need to know is also really helpful. So a lot of people ask about the layers of the, the abdominal wall, and you'll find that certain attending specifically will ask that. So That's a third step is I'd sometimes ask my peers or my friends, what's it like scrubbing with this? Like, what do I need to know? What are are common things? And I think if you watch a video, study the basic anatomy and ask a friend, you'll probably hit what you need to know at the MS2 level or the
1: clerkship student level. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is patient history. Um, So I would, in addition to, yeah, basic anatomy, video, I think is a great idea just to have some idea of what's going on, but make sure you look at the patient's chart, at least their last clinic visit. So you should know why are we operating on this patient? What is their, you know, procedure going to be and what are maybe a couple of potential complications? Um, I think if you know that, like you are far and above probably what most medical students honestly are doing. Um, So that's the only thing I would add
0: yeah absolutely that is that is absolutely critical yeah Uh, because i remember as a a, i was on my hand clerkship actually it was like a selective at penn and um it was with a doctor i really respected and he asked me the patient's name he asked me the laterality of the procedure and whether we had operated on the other hand before yeah and i answered them correct and all of a sudden he trusted me for the rest of the rotation and that's all it takes you really know that stuff
1: And then conversely, you know, I've asked medical students, hey, so we have three cases today. Can you walk me through um, what surgeries we're doing and why we're doing them? And if a medical student can't answer those questions, it kind of sets the mood for the day. And I'm much less likely to entrust them to really do much in the OR if they have not taken, I mean, literally this takes five minutes per patient to go into Epic and look at the last clinic visit or OR note. Um, So yeah, it can actually... I think, hurt you if you can't answer those questions.
0: Absolutely. And if you don't know how to do this effectively, ask a resident. Yes.
1: I would much rather someone say, you know, this is, should be done like the first few days, not the third or fourth week. But, hey, I'm having trouble finding how to, you know, search Epic for this. Can you show me? And yes, there is plenty of time before after surgeries. And I think most residents would be more than happy to show you how to do that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Completely agreed. And then how about, I, I think we've hit the MS2 point. I don't think that it's it's pretty it's pretty simple from the MS2 standpoint, what you need in terms of case prep, but in terms of a sub I, it can get a little bit complicated because now there's, you, you have a lot on the line, you're kind of nervous about your reputation. What what do you actually need to know? And what did you do as a sub I?
1: I think it is very similar to an MS2. I'm not expecting the sub I's to Know how to do the surgeries. I would just say maybe a little bit more of the anatomy, a little bit more of the preoperative, postoperative protocol, because I, I'm expecting sub eyes to know how to do also presentations on rounds. So, you know, after a case to really understand, you know, what are the things we're worried about with flaps, which there are other episodes on flap monitoring, but to take some responsibility for knowing the patients. So not just know the last clinic visit, but have more of an understanding of the patient's history. Um, I think good resources are microsurgeon.org is a good one for flaps. Um, I brought Janice with me pretty much everywhere during sub eyes. So those would be, I think, two resources to start with. So nothing really different per se, just making sure you're more thorough.
0: Yeah, I agree. And to kind of bring a real world example, one of our incoming interns who was stellar on their sub I, um, probably better, better sub I than I was. I remember before clinic had looked up every single patient and And, um, obviously this is on OR case prep and stuff like that, but it takes that level of attention to detail. You look up every patient in their notebook, what they were going to get done, what they were coming in for. They, they looked at the, um, one of our APPs kind of pre-charting and it was just, it was a level of detail that you don't typically see. And it's, and usually as a sub I to. Impress with your fund of knowledge and work ethic. It's that kind of level of detail. You can impress in other ways, including technical and uh, personality and things like that. But in regards to preparation, um, I think that it just takes out. It's the next level of detail from the clerkship student, which is not only are you knowing the basic anatomy, but you're understanding kind of what the various options are right for this certain case what the differences between different flaps are in regards to their benefits and drawbacks and that being said it's all overwhelming at the beginning but with repetitions you start and again with the time invested you start to get a, a little bit more of the sense
1: yeah I'm glad we're back to in-person sub-ice I think that's where you really learn is on sub-internships because you have a whole month and whether you're rotating different services or staying with the same service for a few weeks you do get into a little bit more of a groove than you do as an MS too. Um, so it'll come with time. Definitely ask previous sub eyes what they used, what worked, who are good attendings to you know, ask questions, and um, you'll get a sense of it. But so now uh, you're finishing up your intern year. What did you find helpful? I guess we'll say maybe just on the plastics rotations in a general surgery, probably. Uh, you know, we're thankfully doing less and less of it now, but so for your plastics <laughs> rotations, how did you prepare for cases at that level?
0: Uh, I think it's honestly been a work in progress over the course of the year, how I prepare for cases. And I think uh, I still do a lot of what I did initially, except I'm more efficient at it. Um, so I still, it's, it's the, the foundations of how to prepare for cases starts at MS2 and you carry on whatever that is for the rest of your life, right? So I still do everything. I I remind myself of the basic anatomy. I look up the patient's chart and I get the full details, but then I start to supplement it with more um, targeted knowledge. And usually I use a few things. And actually, one of our co-residents, Nick Olek, showed me this. There's like one resource that I use all the time. It's I think it's called TM Med One Plastic Surgery.
1: Yeah, Team. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so I religiously. there's the first thing I do. I look up um, whatever flap I'm doing, whatever case I'm doing, it's usually more helpful for, for flaps. And then I usually, and I usually end up in Dr. Zen's textbook, um, reading a chapter on said flap. Um, and then usually that will give me the more advanced anatomy that will give me a little bit more of, um, um, just, just a general understanding of that flap. And then what I still do is I watch videos and I, um, Try to understand from A to Z what is going on, where you, where you locate that, or where you design your incision, what the approach looks like, what are the critical structures to avoid. So I'm starting to think kind of on a play-by-play basis, even though I don't know everything, I'm just starting to to develop that vocabulary. Like, I, there's no way I can remember all of the procedures we do because I think that's the point of residency. But I start to think like, okay, in a latissimus flap, what are the different possible kind of designs of the flap that we can do Um, what are the different options can you do a split latissimus can you do whatever you know what i mean i'm starting i'm starting to just increase my vocabulary by reading a lot about the case beforehand that being said sometimes like that's in an ideal situation where i have a lot of time and i'm like kind of pouring over the details most often i just do kind of anatomy Um, what's pertinent to the patients, a video, and then ask a senior resident what is important for me to know for this
1: case. And, you know, it sounds like a lot, but you do get more efficient over time. And a lot of the cases will repeat. So, you know, common cases, breast reduction, you know, I think after taking the in-service a couple of times, reading, you probably know the different pedicle options, the different skin incision options, so it's not like you're starting from ground zero every case, but I think uh, this is something that the faculty always say to the graduating hand fellows, which stuck with me, is, you know, these are people that have been in training for seven years. They say you should still be reading something before every case, even for a carpal tunnel, which they've probably done thousands by this point. You know, there's always something to learn. Um, so look up a new paper, look up, we have um actually a Journal Club article for hand tomorrow on, you know, ultrasound for carpal tunnel. So there's plenty to read. So don't feel like, oh, I've done this case before, I don't need to prepare. Because um, that's how you learn and how you build a fund of knowledge is look up something before the case. Um, so I'll talk a little bit kind of about how I'm preparing for cases. I'm just finishing my PGY3 year. And it's very similar to, you know, what Hani was saying. It's just, I think my goals of watching the videos a little bit different. So when I'm going into, let's say a breast reduction or a hernia repair or carpal tunnel, my goal at this point is I want to be doing the case. And so I need to show the attending that I know the steps, I know the incision, I understand you know, where I might need help. So I often will watch a video on TEAM or the Duke Flop course, um, website has a lot of great videos. Susan McKinnon has a great video series for a lot of hand and upper extremity. Uh, so I'm watching the videos with the intent of knowing how to do the steps of the surgery. So, you know, normally before the page, before the 10 even walks in the room, sometimes I draw the incision. I'll say, you know, first let's say, we'll just take a carpal tunnel, you know, make this incision, you know, along the radial board of the ring finger. And I'm watching out for you know the motor branch, and I'm going through the fascia. So talking out loud will allow the attending to know. Okay, this resident has read and knows what they're doing, and now I trust them to do the case. Yes, I definitely still will read, you know, textbooks, um, but I think videos are really critical. Looking at previous op notes is helpful uh, because oftentimes attendings will do cases differently, and not that one way is right or wrong, but if you know the attending's preferences, that is a big part of getting to do the case. So, you know, one of uh, one of our favorite attendings, Dr. Erdman, he does the breast reduction pretty much the same way for all the patients. So if you know what instruments he uses, the order he likes to raise the pedicle and the flaps, he is uh, more likely to leave you alone and let you do your side uh, if you know the way he likes to do it. And that goes with I think a lot of different cases is reading previous op notes, talking to residents who have done the case with that attending before. So, those are the things that I've found helpful.
0: Yeah. Previous op notes are a gold mine yeah. if they are written well, which usually they are, yeah. um, but they are an absolute gold mine. And we have one <laughs> attending.
1: Dr. Heckler will literally write the op notes like a week before he does the case for every case. And so, and if you read the off note, you're like, wow, this is exactly what we're going to be doing tomorrow. And uh, it does help because he is, his op notes just happen to be really helpful, but at least look it up or look up a similar op note because uh, it will tell you kind
0: of. One of our co-residents actually told me the other day when we were doing a case together, he was like, I need to know every step of the surgery before we're in the OR. The OR is not a time to learn, which no. I sometimes disagree with, but- I kind of get the sentiment, which is like, oh, the OR, especially, you know, if you've seen this case a couple of times, the OR isn't a place to almost practice. It's more, it might be a place to practice some surgical skill, but not surgical knowledge.
1: Yeah. So if you get to a point in the case where you uh, are having to learn, that's probably the point where you hand the case over. And that's okay to do, and you know we should do it. You know that's why a residency is six years. If you could do everything after three years, then uh, you know it would be a boring <laughs> last three years. So give yourself grace and yeah. <laughs> be humble. Be willing to like say, "Hey, I'm not sure what I'm doing at this point. Can yeah. you take over?" And that actually, I think, will make the faculty and your senior residents feel like they can trust you because you know when you know what your limits are. Yeah, um, and even big cases. Sometimes what I'll do before the case is let's say for a deep, you know, as a light intern or two, you're maybe just learning how to do the MAMs. Maybe as a three or four, you're getting to the point where the MAMs are cleaned off enough for you to start micro or sometimes before the case, I'll say, Hey, you know, one of my goals is to fully dissect the, um, you know, the SIVs for this case. Could I try to do that? And so just setting realistic goals and expectations can, can help as well.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And that's at every level. I don't think we mentioned that earlier, but at every level, like setting goals, if you're able to do that effectively and kind of enlist whoever your senior is, I think that that goes a really long way. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, I think that at this point, I was wondering if you would want to, you already kind of mentioned a carpal tunnel. Would you, would you want to do another case where we could kind of go sequentially in regards to what people need to know, kind of as an MS2, as an MS4, like how you would prepare for that case, for instance.
1: Sure. Um, what kind of what case do you want to go through?
0: So we could do a breast reduction, since that's kind of we do a lot of those. So I think that I think that 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 would be a great case for us to uh, to discuss. Okay.
1: I would say MS2, MS4, the knowledge base is similar, um, so you should know what are the pedicle options? Are you going to do an inferior pedicle, superior medial pedicle? And oftentimes this is attending preference. Uh, Sometimes it has to do with the size of the reduction. And then I would know the blood supplies for those pedicles. And I would also know a couple of different skin incision patterns. So very common is a wise pattern, but you can also do a vertical reduction as well. So I would say Knowledge wise, knowing that and knowing why are you even doing a pedicle? It's the whole point is to keep the nipple alive, but that sometimes people don't realize, like, well, you just cut it all off. Um, you know, I think maybe the next level up would be okay, so let's say you're insetting and the nipple is looking dusky, what are the next steps then? And you know, that's to de inset the pedicle, making sure nothing's kinked. Um, you know, and then trying to hopefully help the patient along with wound care if even after DN setting, making sure you're not insetting it in a way that the pedicle is twisted, you know, wound care. And then the last step would be a free nipple graft if you if you need to, but kind of knowing what is your biggest concern, which is nipple perfusion and then you know skin flap perfusion, but oftentimes less of an issue.
0: Yeah. And then from my perspective, I think that at this point, I know that those kind of details. At this point, as an intern, when I'm thinking about breast reduction, I'm thinking of the sequence of steps, and that's attending specific against. So, with Dr. Erdman, for instance, like I have a, an Evernote sheet that I review before cases that I've done a mental exercise where I go through the case. Like, what is my prep? We need to put the breast tourniquet on, we need to mark all the points of the of, uh, of our incision with either stitches, if it's Dr. Erdman, or if it's with Dr. Levinson, we do in this in the sign in blue. It's, 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 that, it's that level as kind of like an intern who's seen this case a few times. That's what the level of detail that I'm starting to develop. And then from your perspective, what are you doing in a breast reduction now? Is it more just kind of you're developing the skills or are you still kind of learning um, a little bit of the details around it?
1: Yeah, no, I think similarly once you, yes, you should definitely know the prep, the sequence, knowing who likes to get the pedicle out first, who likes to raise the skin flaps first. Um, my goal now for a breast reduction is how can I be more efficient? Um, so I can, I feel like by the end of MS, I mean PGY3, thank goodness not MS3, end of PGY3, um, yeah. I can reliably feel safe doing a breast reduction. Um, my goal now is I don't want to have to go back and spend twenty minutes thinning the skin flaps again, or you know spending extra time thinning the pedicle. I'd like to be confident enough that I know the thickness. I can do it in one pass. And so finding ways, and also, it is not easy to know how to tell someone to help you because uh, oftentimes there'll be either a medical student or an intern with you that's helping you to retract. And when you're with an attending, they're kind of guiding you in a way that you might not recognize fully, Uh, or even have a, you know, if a five or six is with you, they're kind of guiding your dissection. But if you have a medical student or intern, you need to be able to tell them, okay, this is how to best retract to help me. And that's a skill in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, I hope as I'm, you know, senior resident next year, I think my role should be, okay, now I need to allow the PGY2 to help with the dissection and how do you teach that. So that's kind of where I'm thinking for breast reduction is what are the parts that are safe to let someone else do? How can we efficiently move through the case?
0: Yeah, that's a really great perspective.
1: Yeah.
0: This has been pretty awesome. I think that we we this is this is pretty comprehensive. I had
1: fun talking about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it kind of because, shows you because you
1: know all this is ideal like ideally you should just before every case yeah and residency is hard it you know i would be lying if i said every single case i'm able to do this level of video anatomy prep and some days it's it's ideal some days it's not but i think this is a good uh, reference for you know you're going especially going to sub-eyes like that's the time to really do everything you can
0: yeah yeah, exactly. And, and you know, there's a bare minimum, right? There's yeah. a bare minimum that you do on days on your sub eyes or clerkships, you're going to be in the or until 10pm. You know what I mean? And you're gonna to have to be up and helping with lists at 430am. So you're probably not going to do your deep dive into textbooks and things like that on those nights. But again, there's still a bare minimum that you have to do for every case um, I think that we, that we touched on, which is just kind of know your patients and know what surgery you're doing. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. Bare minimum. And you would be surprised how many times I've asked medical students and they can't tell you what surgery we're doing today. And I'm like, oh my gosh, come on. That's, yeah. That's,
0: yeah. So that's fun. ask your seniors how to do it more efficiently and more effectively and your life will be easier. I promise.
1: Yeah. And everyone <laughs> wants you to be there. You know, we love what we do and we're excited to share it with you. Um, so that's always where we're coming from so yeah. feel free to always you know i think interns are a good resource too because you're pretty close to med student level you know you're just there a couple of years ago so
0: no longer pgy2 no oh
1: man <laughs> moving on up it's hard to believe <laughs> yeah pass that pager on
0: exactly, exactly. all, all right. right
1: well thanks everyone for joining us As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.